Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. There was now, this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Well, this is one of my favorite things to do. I just love sitting out on my front porch on a pretty day like this and just rock in the swing that I hung up here. I've been doing this a lot lately. Uh, ever since we've been social distancing and quarantining and working from home, I've been spending a lot of time uh, right here. I've uh, been doing Zoom calls from here. I've been doing my daily devotion from here. I usually start the morning out here drinking my coffee, uh, doing my journaling, praying. Sometimes when I've been frustrated, uh, a little tired of being on Zoom, I've come out here and, and sat and rocked. Sometimes Kelly comes out and sits and with, rocks with me. There's something uh, very comforting 
uh, something that that kind of puts my heart back in proper rhythm. Just sitting here, uh, enjoying the outdoors, and just just rocking, right? Just walk, rocking. I, you know, I don't know what it is for you. I I, I think there's there's a lot of us that that have those uh, creature comforts that we turn to things that that give us comfort, right? Maybe it's an old bathrobe or a, a blanket that you like curling up with on the couch. Maybe it's a, a certain kind of food that you just, you know, like we talk about comfort foods. Maybe it's a certain person you call up on the phone to talk to or meet for coffee. I, I think we all have that, you know, there's something, there's some place, uh, there's some routine or rhythm, just makes everything seem okay. But sometimes things aren't okay, right? I mean, like this is a weird time we're in right now. And, and what I've noticed about myself and, and maybe true about others is that if I find something comforting in the good times, well then I, I crave it in the bad times. I, I, I maybe I'm even a little dependent on it. I, I want it, I, I need it, you know, and I'm sick. You know, there's something I need about a, a, a quart of Ben and Jerry's, right? Or, uh, or when, uh, you know, something's bothering me. There's, there's certain people that I, I need to talk to, uh, maybe to get advice, maybe just to listen. Uh, there's certain rhythms and routines that I, I need, and, and usually they're familiar, right? I think there's a comfort in familiarity, you know, that, that favorite hymn or, or saying the creed at church or uh, there, there are certain movies we've watched the reruns how many times, but there, there's something about it that we just, we just love. Maybe it gets a, another cry out um, that you need that's cathartic. I, I don't know what it is for you, but, but I suspect all of us that there's a need for the familiar, for the comforting, for the grounding kind of a thing. I, I think that's what was going on in, in the story about Jesus and the disciples down by the seashore. Remember, this has been a, a pretty traumatic time for those guys. Not just Jesus, obviously, but he went through. But, but the disciples, you know, three years they'd followed Jesus. They were ready for, for something big, but they didn't expect this. Things have turned weird so quickly. Uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, Jesus is arrested. And then uh, he's nailed to a cross. And then he dies. And then they put him in a tomb. And then there's talk that he's risen from the grave. And then he starts appearing to them. Sometimes they're in locked rooms. And all of a sudden, poof, there's Jesus. And while that must have been great, you know, a, a great alternative to him being dead, he also was not entirely clear about what he wanted them to do. He just would come and go, and, you know, what are we supposed to do? And, by the way, the Jews are still mad at us, and the Romans are still nailing people to crosses. What are we supposed to do? Well, what did they do? They went home. At least some of them did. Uh, and, and they went back to what they knew, fishing. It was familiar. Was comfortable. I, I don't think they had given up on the new life Jesus was calling them to. I think they just needed familiar. Let's go home. Let's eat some of mom's cooking. Let's let's go back and see friends. Let, let's go back and where we can just be ourselves. Walk the city streets. Let, let's let's go back and sleep in our own beds. Let, hey, in the morning, let's go fish. 
we know how to do that. Let's let's take Dad's boat out and his nets, and let's go fishing. I mean, fishing is what they've done their whole lives. These guys. Remember, remember Simon Peter and Andrew. They they were fishermen. James, John. They were they were fishermen until that day that Jesus came down to the seashore and called out to them and said, "Hey, you know, follow me, and I'll make you fishers." of people and that's what they spent three years learning how to do to, to fish for people for the kingdom of heaven and that's what they were going to do with the rest of their lives but in this moment <clears throat> this moment of uncertainty this moment where they're probably tired and traumatized they went home and went fishing well, the story goes that they had spent the, the night fishing. That's when you go fishing. And they, they had been out there casting their nets. and They hadn't had much luck. And I, I bet they didn't even care. It's not like they were out there trying to make a living. They were just doing what they felt comfortable doing, something familiar. I, I bet there was something, even in the holding of the rope, the, the repetition of tossing the, the, the nets, I felt comforting. Well, day broke, and, and they noticed that, you know, over on the shore, uh, there's a, a little little campfire, and there's somebody standing there watching them. And, and then, you know, morning is so quiet. This person there on the shore calls out and says, good morning. How's the fishing? Have you caught anything? Just, just a friendly voice. No, I haven't caught anything. It's kind of embarrassing. They're fishermen. Maybe they've lost their touch. The guy on the shore says, well, well, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? Well, listen, these boats aren't very wide. If the fish are on one side of the boat, they're going to be on the other side of the boat. They've been fishing all night. There's no fish on the other side of the boat. But they recognize the voice. They recognize the instruction. This had happened to them before, way back when they got called. Jesus told them to do kind of the same thing, and, and it worked. So... They understand what they know what's happening, so they throw the net, and guess what happens? The net's full of fish, just just an absurd amount of fish, more than they could eat uh, or need. And so all of a sudden, they know this is Jesus on the shore, and we're trying to get to him, but we got to pull these fish in. It's just sort of this crazy scene. They get the boat to shore, they get the net up on the shore, and they rush to Jesus, and he's made them breakfast. I love that. What kind of God makes breakfast for people? <laughs> what kind of what kind of risen Lord gets up early to fry fish for his friends? I love that. And notice, not only that, but, but he doesn't scold them. He's not there like, hey, you know, I uh, I made you guys fishers of people. What are you doing in the boat? He's not scolding them. He's not chastising them. He, he he's not not out hunting for them like listen i left you in jerusalem what are you doing back here you bunch of jokers he there's none of that he doesn't question them seems like he understands so early in the morning back in this familiar place you know you can feel the breeze coming in off the the water you can imagine the birds chirping in the early morning and the crackle of the fire and the smell of the food Jesus serves them breakfast. I mean, what a what a what a fantastic scene! I, I, I'd give anything to be there. Until this point in the story, 
right then, yeah, everything's going great. And everybody's enjoying it. And then Jesus turns over to Simon Peter and he asks him a question, an awkward question right in front of everybody. It just, it just stops the conversation. You could hear a pin drop. There was some unfinished business between Jesus and Peter and Jesus was going to use this opportunity to take care of it. Now, now let's be clear. The, the issue isn't that Jesus has an issue. It's that Jesus knows that there's some work that needs to be done before Peter can get on with his life. Uh, you remember what happened? The last time they had been together, uh, Jesus had told them, you know, I'm, I'm about to be arrested and, and nailed to a cross. I'm going to die. And Peter, you know, is always so super bold and and, you know, he's impulsive and he says, no, Lord, you know, I'm not going to let that happen. And I'll, I'll go with you right to the very end. I'll die with you if I have to. Remember, he's just super bold about it. You know, he's the super disciple. Jesus said right in front of all of them, Peter, tonight you'll deny me. You'll deny even knowing me three times. Before the, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will have denied even knowing who I am. You know, Peter felt terrible about that. He felt terrible that the night that he did it. He must have felt terrible uh, in, the, in the days to come. He must have felt terrible when Jesus uh, resurrected, appeared to him. And now, you know, he's sitting there in this sort of discomfort. You know, he's still going to do what Jesus has asked him to do, but he's going to carry this burden of guilt. He's the one that denied Jesus. He's the one that didn't live up to his commitment. I, Jesus has let this go. You know, right? Everything gets forgiven at the cross. There's no issue here with Jesus. He knows the issue is for Peter, that Peter feels guilty, that Peter's going to need to get this taken care of before he can get on with the work that God's called him to do. So so right there in front of everybody, right there between uh, the, the Danishes and the, the breakfast burritos uh, and the mimosas, right in the midst of all, the, all of that, uh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, hey, um, do you love me? That's actually not all that he asked. He said, do you love me more than these? Everybody's listening. Everybody's watching. Everybody knows what, what Jesus is talking about. Peter, so uncomfortable, so awkward, says, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Oh, thank God that's over, right? I mean, I think, thank goodness, you know, we can just move on, right? That was awkward moment. And a few minutes later, Jesus does it again. The conversation's happening. Everybody's enjoying the food, right? They're chatting about something. And, and Jesus says, Peter, hey, uh, Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Oh, Peter, you know, can you imagine? Just the cuts, you know, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Well, then, you know, the conversation continues, but then Jesus does it one more time. Peter, do you love me? Oh, it's just cut him deep, right? I mean, this is what Jesus does sometimes. I don't think it causes pain, but... But he knows, like, I gotta, it's like a surgeon, like, digging into the stuff. I gotta, I gotta cut away the tumor. And he knows that this is just gonna hang on Peter. It's gonna cripple his ministry. It's gonna haunt him. It's gonna affect his relationship with Jesus. 
Jesus isn't being cruel here. He's being a thorough surgeon. He's cutting away the last little bit of it. Jesus, uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, oh, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I do. You know the answer. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Do you hear what he did? Three times on that night uh, that Jesus had been arrested, Peter denied him. Three different occasions. Aren't you the one? I don't know the man. Weren't you with him? I don't know the man. Aren't you from Galilee? I don't know what you're talking about. Three times he denied him. Then three times there over breakfast, he reaffirms his love. You know that I love you. And each time... Jesus gives him what his calling will be. He's going to be the leader of a movement. He's going to be the one that they all look to. He's going to be the one that is their strength. Feed my lambs, Peter. Take care of my sheep, Peter. Feed my sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, but he's going to place that now on Peter. And he can't. As long as Peter is carrying around this pain, and this brokenness and this uncertainty, he can't move on. Jesus is just, just freeing him up. He's taking the weight off of him. And then finally, Jesus says, follow me. Now, what I think about is interesting about this story is that it starts with sort of going back to what was familiar. In their weariness and their uncertainty and their pain and their kind of awkward fumbling through what was next in life, they'd gone back home. They'd gone back to fishing, to what was new and familiar. They didn't expect Jesus to meet them there. There had never been any plan about that. They didn't anticipate Jesus meeting them on the shore. But Jesus does. Jesus comes to them and refocuses, like rather than looking back to what had been familiar, he specifically meets with Peter and says, I want, I want you to look ahead. I want, I want you to look forward. Don't, don't dwell in the past on your fishing. Don't dwell in the past in your, your guilt and your suffering. Don't, don't dwell in what you thought this was going to be. I need you to look forward now. I need you to do what I've prepared you to do. I need you to feed my lambs. I need you to take care of my sheep. I need you to feed my sheep. Peter, follow me. Follow me forward. Follow me into the future. Follow me into all that I have planned. There's an expression people use. I hear it a lot lately about a, a, a liminal time or a liminal space. Liminal. Liminal means sort of between one thing or another. One thing ends, another thing hasn't quite started. It's, it's liminal. Uh, some people say we're kind of in a liminal moment right now. It's, a, it's, it's unclear. It's undefined. Um, we, we know what was, right, a few months ago. We, we know how things were. But we don't really know when is this crisis going to end and what life will be like on the other side of the crisis. So we are in a liminal time. I think the disciples were in a liminal time. They had followed Jesus, assuming certain things. He died. He was resurrected. They will have a mission in the future, but they're in this moment. Easter is like 50 days because it was a 50-day period. They were just kind of waiting uh, what, what, what's going to happen? What, what is God asking us 
to do. And, and liminal spaces are interesting because they're full of potential. They're full of possibility. I, I find a lot of excitement sort of in that liminal space of what can be, but they're also stressful. Let me, let's be honest. The, the familiar is what's comfortable. What, what we know is comfortable. The unknown, change, right? Oh, that, that can feel um, threatening, difficult, challenging, uncomfortable. You know, I've been, I've been noticing uh, a phrase here lately, and, and I've heard it from people talking to me. I think I've probably said it. I've certainly heard it. Uh, on social media and, um, and on the news, you know, people people are talking a lot about uh, when we can get back to normal. When can we get things back to normal? I, I'm looking forward to when things go back to normal or familiar, right? That's what they're saying. It's when things return to normal, right? But but you notice the flaw in that that phrase to go back to normal? Well, friends, I don't know about your experience, but my experience in life is I've never been able to go back. I've, I have no experience in going backward. I've only been from my very first step, from my very first breath, from my very first day of life, I've only been moving forward. Only been moving forward. I, I don't know how long this crisis is going to last, and, and I don't know what it's going to... Um, be like when it's over. I don't know what effect it's going to have on us long term, but I do know this. We don't get to go back to normal. We get to go forward to a new normal. I, I totally get it. I, there's so much of, of, of life that I'm just looking forward to hopefully resuming. But some things may not. And so how do we follow Jesus uh, through this liminal stage into the future, right? Letting go of, of the past, not because it wasn't good, letting go of our baggage because we need to, and simply trusting that he has a plan and we need to follow him, that, that there's, there's ministry always ahead of us. I'm thinking specifically of the church, that, that the point when we come back together isn't to to pick up where we left off or to try to recreate exactly what it was. But listen, we're different. We've been doing ministry different now for almost two months. That, that will have an impact of what the future will be. I don't know specifically what, but I don't think there's any going back. There's only going forward. Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Let's follow me into the future. Follow me into what I have for you. And I, I believe that's the invitation that God has for us today. Follow me. Trust me. Not me. Jesus is saying that. Follow me. Follow me. Come along with me and, and feed my sheep, maybe in new ways. Come, come along with me. Take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. I don't know what that'll look like in the days to come, but I trust that Jesus does. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, I, I was in campus ministry for 11 years. I, I've told you about that. I loved my time uh, in campus ministry at, at Florida State University. Loved it. Uh, was there from 2003 to 2014. Uh, as I neared the end of my time there, 
I had a growing sense that, that God was calling me to do something different. And I'll be honest, I wrestled with that and I fought God on it and I, I didn't want to leave it, but I, I just had this increasingly clear message that the time had come, that, that I had done the work that I was supposed to do, but I, but I had a hard time with it, I'll, I'll be honest. And I read a book uh, during that time about how to deal with life transitions. And one of the images in that book uh, was uh, of a trapeze artist. You know, you have these, these two swings, right? And they're going in rhythm. And, and if you're on one side, you swing out on your trapeze. And the idea is you let go so that you can grab the next one, right? That's the image. You, you swing out on your swing, let go and grab the next bar and swing out on that. Like that's the way the whole trapeze system works, right? He makes the point in the book, like the scariest point in that process is the letting go. Right? I can't reach the next bar unless I let go of the last one. As long as I just hold on to the, to the, the one I have first, then I'm, I'm never going to move forward. I'm never going to complete, right? Well, that, that image has been with me for a long time. But leaving that that time at campus ministry, I had to let go. Let go of what ministry had been. I had to let go of those relationships. I had I had to let go of that kind of sense of self-identity. And so uh, that was harder than I thought it was going to be. And it took longer than I thought it might. Uh, I spent a little time at a church in, in Jacksonville and then, then another down in Coral Springs and the whole time wondering, you know, had I made a mistake? Is this is this really what God wants me to do? Maybe I wasn't supposed to leave campus ministry. Uh, a lot of questioning, a lot of doubting. Um, one day Kelly said to me, she was, I, I wonder if God's telling you it's time to let go. She didn't even know about the image of the trapeze. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, then the opportunity came to come home. By the way, familiar, comfortable, right? But not entirely, you know, I, I, I came back to First Church, which is a church I knew and I loved. I was so happy to be back, but it was a new experience. I, I, the church had changed, had some challenges. I've changed, right? So this was a new beginning. So it was, a, you know, kind of a scary, intimidating thing, comforting to be home, but big challenge. I've been home a couple of weeks and uh, so excited to be home, moving into my new office, taking on my duties there at the church. And uh, I went and met a friend for lunch over uh, at the Sunbank building. I don't know if you've been in the lobby there. Uh, we'd had lunch and I was heading back to the church and I, I was walking through the lobby and I looked up. You know, you know what's hanging there in the lobby? A trapeze swing and a, and a couple statues of trapeze artists, right? And immediately... I had this very strong sense that I'm I'm here because I finally did the work of letting go of the past. Right? It doesn't mean I don't love the past. It doesn't mean I'm not so grateful for the past. But, it, but I finally made the transition. I've grabbed. Right? That, that transition is uncomfortable, but so necessary. Friends, I, I think maybe that this is some of what's going on in this story. Jesus is saying, Peter, you're going to have to let go of the junk. Disciples, you're going to have to let go of the fishing. You're going to have to let go of your expectations of what this was going to be. I'm calling you to follow me. First Church, I wonder, as we get through this liminal season of coronavirus pandemic, if God is saying to us, listen, I have a future. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. He's saying that 
Don't cling to the past. Yes, I know you love comfort. I love. I know you love familiarity. I, I know you're going to need that, right? But the future is the future. The future is ahead of us. The future means that we're going to keep walking, following in the footsteps of Jesus to who he calls us to be and what he calls us to do. I don't know what that is because we're in a liminal time. But Jesus does. If we followed him this far, we can trust we can follow him in the days to come. Thanks be to God.